turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. And so for the, the next several weeks, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to talk about this issue of the church, and we're going to talk about uh, building, um, building your life and how to, how to build your life with, with blueprints instead of building your life without blueprints because that's the problem, and that's what's happening in, in Jerusalem. And so, so we're going to look at this issue of, of the church and God's master plan for you, uh, but, but we're going to look at the, some foundational issues. We're going to look at how to handle opposition, how to resolve conflict, uh, how to handle relationships. As we walk through this series together, as we understand God's master plan for every one of us. The fact is, that's the title of this message, that, that God's master plan for you. Now, a little bit about Nehemiah. You may be new to church. You may be new to a Bible, and, and you don't really know who Nehemiah is, and, and that's fine. So let me, let me tell you a little bit about Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a very responsible, very, very trusted position. Uh, he, was, he was a cupbearer to the king, and so that simply meant this. Uh, Nehemiah, he, 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 was like, he was like secret service to the president. Nehemiah was this guy that protected the, the king's life. See, a lot of times in, in their culture and in their time, when someone wanted to assassinate a king, the way that they would assassinate a king is poisoning the wine or, or the food. And so it was Nehemiah's job, it was his responsibility to make sure that the king wasn't assassinated, that the, that the, that the, food, that the food was safe and that, that his life was safe. And so as a result of that, Nehemiah had a real trusted uh, position. It was a place of great responsibility. Uh, Nehemiah was one of those guys that, that did, a, did a really good job. And, and I believe that's a requirement for all believers, that if you want to live loud, like Pastor Chad talked about in your job and in your workplace, then it comes by doing an excellent job because that's, that's part of our testimony. So Colossians 3.23 and 24 says this, says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward and you are serving Christ so he says in the end remember that Christ is the one that, you, that you're serving and so Nehemiah was was that type of guy Nehemiah was that type of guy that's the way he handled his life and and as a result he was promoted up to the cupbearer for the king now the reason that Nehemiah is so concerned he's concerned about Jerusalem he's concerned about the Jews in Jerusalem see Jerusalem has been destroyed and for 70 years, the Jews in Jerusalem are trying to rebuild Jerusalem. And they couldn't do it. And the reason that they couldn't do it is because they didn't have plans. They didn't have blueprints. They didn't have, have any. They just, they, they did the best they could. But they didn't have a plan. And see, Nehemiah had a plan. He understood the importance of, of blueprints in life, the importance of priorities in life, the importance of putting the proper things in the proper place in life. And so Nehemiah... Nehemiah is really concerned about his church. I think this is the first time that I've seen in the book of Nehemiah's reading through it as I was preparing for the, this series. Is it, that it's the first time that I've seen in the book of Nehemiah. Now remember, Jerusalem is in ruins. It's been destroyed. Um, the relationships are suffering. The city is suffering. And Nehemiah wants to go back and rebuild the city. And here's the first thing he does. He rebuilds the church. I'd never seen that before until now. The first thing, that Nehemiah, because Nehemiah understood that if for the city to be successful, for families to be successful, for relationships to be successful, that the church has to be successful. And so Nehemiah was one of these church guys. See, the, the danger for us is, is that you can do church for so long, you no longer know why you do church. Or you can do church your way for so long that you think this is the way to do church. 
And so that's why it's important for us to walk through Nehemiah. That's why it's important for all of us to understand this issue of the church, the importance of the church, and God's master plan for our life. Because, see, what we're doing as a church is not limited to, to weekend services. We're, we're a community. We're a community, community of committed believers that are committed to one another, that have relationships where we pray for one another, we encourage one another, we support one another. And that is God's master plan for us. Listen, we are supposed to be a family. We'll talk about that. We're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to have committed relationships regardless of, of our size. It's one of the purposes of the church. So today I want to talk to you about God's plan for you. I want to talk to you about God's master plan for you and how, how the church fits into that, how, how, how the church should relate to you and you relate to the church. So Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 is a focal passage, and, and we're just going to walk through some of these together. And so here's what the scripture says. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year, uh, King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, uh, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. There's a reason for that, and we'll understand that in a second. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. So the king's asking him a question. Why is your heart sad? Why is your heart broken? And then, is what Nehemiah said, then I was very much afraid. Now listen, we may not understand that statement, statement, then I was very much afraid. But see, it was against the rules. It was against the law. If you went before the king to be sad, you had to have joy. You had to be positive. You had to be happy. It was against the law. Fact is, it was so against the law that if you came before the king sad and, and depressed and discouraged, he could have you put to death, and that was, that was legal. So now you understand that, that why he says, then I was very much afraid. So I said to the king, let the king live forever. So that's probably a good statement. And he said, why should, not, why, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Do you have a plan? Do you have blueprints? Have you thought this out? And all of a sudden, Nehemiah said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Listen, stop right there. It, many of us need to learn to do that. When you're ever having a difficult conversation, you realize you can pray in the midst of that conversation. You can pray silently to yourself. God, give me the words. God, help me to understand the issue. God, would you just, would you, would you speak? I mean, just breathe a quick one sentence prayer. God, help me. Just God, help me in this conflict. God, help me in this conversation. See, that was Nehemiah. Verse 5, he says, And so I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I might rebuild it. You know what he's asking? He wants to rebuild the church. He's going to rebuild the church. He's going to rebuild the temple. Then he's going to rebuild the, the families. Then he's going to be rebuild relationships. Then he rebuilds the city. And, and in other words, this, the city will prosper because the church prospers. The city will prosper because there are people that living loud outside of the walls of the church. And so, and so he goes on, verse 6, And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him. Now listen, that was probably Queen Esther. And so he goes, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a blueprint, when I'd given him a time. 
In other words, I, I told him the duration of the project. I told him I thought this through. And then I, and then I told him what I, would, what I would need to be successful. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me. That's like passports so that he could travel all the way to Jerusalem, Judea, and all the way through. And he said, uh, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the, to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. He had thought this out. He had a blueprint uh, for his life. He wasn't trying to rebuild the church. He wasn't trying to rebuild uh, the temple without blueprints. And guess what? We don't have to build a church without blueprints either. God has given us in his word the blueprints for our life. So I want to talk to you. I want to give you three things of God's master plan for you. Uh, this is three of our B's. We have four B's here that, that we believe and that we teach. And so this morning, I'm only going to give you three of them, and we'll come back and grab the last B or another B in, in, a, in another sermon. So the first B is this. The first master plan for your life is this, is believing in Jesus. That's actually where it starts. It's where we just come to that place to where we, we believe in Jesus. So the first principle is this, is that believing in Jesus. And now listen, you have to understand that when you accept Christ, when you become a Christian, that you are immediately adopted into his family. You're, you're a part of his family. And um, so when you accept him, when you come to that place, you're asking him to come into your life, forgive your sins, give you the gift of eternal life, uh, that you're immediately adopted into the family. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so it, what, what Scripture tells us is the moment, the moment that we accept Christ, that you're immediately placed in, in God's family, that you're God's child. In other words, this, uh, I don't know how you look at the church, and we're going to talk about that, but, but the person sitting on, on next to you, is either your brother or sister in Christ. You're, you're, you're in a family. And the greatest thing about being in a family is, is that there's rights and privileges that go along with being in a family. I mean, Ephesians 3.14 says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Listen, I don't, I don't know how you view the church. But the church is a, is a family. The church is a, is a family of God. See, I believe many people see the church incorrectly and they, they see the church as like a, like a system or they see the church like an organization. The church is not an organization. It's, a, it's an organism. It's, it's living. Listen, the church is a family. The church, listen, the church is people. People make up the church. When you talk about the church, you're not talking about an organization. You're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, several times people will, will go through a crisis and they may have some frustration because they, they were a part of the church, but they, they really weren't connected to the church. And they go through a crisis. They go through a hard time. And they start asking questions. Where, 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 where was the church? Where was the church when I was hurting? When was, where was the church when I went through a difficult time? And what they're really saying is not where is the organization, not where is the building. You know what they're saying? Where were the people? We, where, where were the people that I was committed? Where were the people praying for me? Where were the people that encouraged me? And so when you talk about the church, you're talking about the family of God. And in the family of God, there's rights and responsibilities. And the greatest right of being in a family, for me, is everyone knows your faults and your weaknesses, and they love you anyway. That's one of the rights, that's one of the, the privileges of being in a family. Well, a healthy family, right? Uh, one of the privileges of being in a healthy family 
is everybody knows your weirdness, your faults, your hang-ups, your strangeness, however, your quirks, however you want to put it, and they love you anyway. I think that's the greatest thing about being part of family is they, they know you. They know there's some strange things about you. They know that there's some weirdness. They know you have faults. They know you're not perfect. And guess what? They still love you anyway. In other words, they know some things about you that nobody else knows, but they still love you. Um, I'll give you a quick illustration. Uh, in, in my family, they, only my family knows this, and now you'll know this. The other two services now know this. Uh, but, it, but they think it's strange. They think it's strange, and they think it's weird about me, and, and, and I honestly don't. I don't think I'm strange, but they do. <laughs> I only like a certain type of chips with, a, with certain sandwiches. Nobody feels my pain? You guys are like laughing at me. No, this is serious. I mean, this is a serious issue in our family. Like if, like, if, like if we have a turkey sandwich, and if we're eating turkey sandwiches, then there's only a certain type of chip that I want with turkey sandwiches. If it's a ham sandwich, totally different type of chips. And guess what? Don't mess with the shape of my chips. They were created with a certain, sh certain shape. Do not change the shape because you're trying to market chips differently. Don't do that. I, I, you know what? And my family laughs at me. And, and this afternoon... When we eat sandwiches and we watch the Cowboys beat the Packers, and we're going to, yeah, so we're going to have, we're going to have turkey sandwiches, and there's a certain type of chip that I'm, that's the only type of chip I want to eat. Now listen, I love my son-in-law. I, I don't think I could li love a son more than I love Corey. But you know the problem with Corey? And it bothers me. Corey does not have any chip loyalty at all. <laughs> I mean, he's not loyal to one chip. And I'm like, Corey, we, we talk about this every time they bring the chips out. Oh, Dad, you're not going to like this. Look what Corey got this time. I'm like, I've never heard of these chips. What, what is happening? Do you have any loyalty? Do you have any morals in your life with chips? <laughs> and so here we go. And so you know what? Here's Corey. You know Corey's favorite chips? Whatever he has a coupon for. That's it. <laughs> If he has a coupon for it, it's, it's a good chip. He's going to get the chip. And he's like, I'm not paying $5 a bag, so you can have your favorite chips. If you want your favorite chips, you bring your favorite chips, right? And so my family, we get in discussion all the time. Now, listen, you may have different quirks, or you may have a different uh, uh, issues in your life that only your family knows. But listen, let me tell you something. The blessing, the privilege of being in a healthy family is people know your faults, your weaknesses, your strangeness, your, your, your hang-ups. And guess what? They love you anyway. That's the church. See, wouldn't it be boring if we were all the same? Yeah. Wouldn't it be boring if we looked the same, we talked the same, we cheered for the same teams? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be boring? Isn't that what makes life interesting? Listen, that's one of the ways that I think the church can really have a testimony is that people can offend us, people can have quirks, people can be different than us, and we can walk through the offenses. Man, we live in a society and we live in a culture. You don't even have to sin against another. You just have to hurt their feelings. You just have to look at them wrong. You just have to say something different. You just have to disagree with them. And they will carry that offense and they will break relationships like that shouldn't be of the church. It's okay for it to be out there because they don't know Christ.
But it's not okay for the church. See, that's one of the privileges of a healthy, of a healthy church and a healthy family. Listen, even if you don't like me and who I cheer for, one day I'm going to be in heaven sitting in the room next to you. And probably with the, with the cowboy game, loud. That's the church. Look, look, look what he says in, in Psalm 68, 6. God settles a solitary where? In a home. You realize that's the church? Realize the church is not only a family, the church is a home. Where there's healthy relationships, where, where we love one another, we, we pray for one another, we encourage one another. What we do is not limited to like a family reunion once a week. What we do is not limited to a weekend service, but, but there's connectedness during the week. We do life together. And he goes on, and it's like a warning. He says he leads the prisoners to prosperity, but the, rel the rebellious, rebellious dwell in a parched land. Man, I'm telling you, do not live in a parched land where there's no deep relationships where you're not doing life with someone, where there's not this, this, this relationships that are connected. Listen, if you want to be a part of a family, all you have to do is accept Christ, and you become part of a family. And then you get to know your family by belonging, and we'll talk about that. You get to know your family by life groups. You get to know your family by spending time with them. It is a privilege. It is a privilege to be a part of a family. But the responsibility is, is unconditional love. See, what is great about being part of a family is absolute, unconditional love. The, re the responsibility is, is that you must show unconditional love to those around you. It's the 11th commandment. Here's what Jesus said in John 13. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you also are to love one another. In other words, with the same love you receive from Christ, you pass it on. With that same love. The same love you re receive from him, you pass it on. And by this, people will know that you are my disciples. If, if you have love for one another, the privilege is, is of a being part of the family is everybody knows me and loves me just as I am. And the responsibility is, is that you have to love others as they are. Second thing of God's master plan for your life, it starts with believing in Jesus. The second thing is this, is belonging to his family. It's believing in Jesus and then belonging to his family. Listen, let me, let me just help you this, here this morning when, when we start looking at this because I'm telling you the danger. The danger is, is you can do church your way for so long that you think that's the way to do church. You think that's the only way to do church. And God has a, a blueprint. God has a master plan for the way in which we do church, the way in which we do life together. And there's... There is a tremendous difference between being a part of a family and belonging to a family. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree in relationships? There's a difference. There's a difference of being a part and belonging. And you may say, well, well like, where's that in Scripture? Well, we, we've read it once. We'll read it again. Ephesians 2.19, here's what he says. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. In other words, when you, when you meet Christ, you're transferred from, from one kingdom to the next, and all of a sudden, you're a part of the family. And members 
of the household of God. In other words, now belonging to the family. In other words, members of the household of God. The Bible uses this word a lot in the New Testament. Members and membership. And he talks about these relationships. And, and the Bible talks about the, the, the churches, the local church, are, are made up of like this identifiable group of people that choose to associate with one another, that are committed to one another, that pray for one another, that do life together, that support one another. And so Romans 12, 5, you, you see this picture, apart and belong. So then, so we, though many are one body in Christ's part, and individually members of one another, in other words, belonging to the body. And you can go all the way through the New Testament, and you can study this, and, and people were known for being a part of a body. They were known for being committed to a, a, per, a, a particular group. Now listen, a lot of times people get confused, and they start talking about the universal church versus the, the local church. And I, and, and I, just, I, I just want you to... I want to help you understand that. And to understand that, I'm going to give you a real quick Greek lesson, okay? And so, so, so if you take the English word church and you find the Greek word for that in the New Testament, it's ekklesia. And if you do a word study on the, church, on the word ekklesia, the very best way to do that is get the, the lima form of the word. And the lima form of any word is like the dictionary form, the, the Greek lexicon form. In other words, in the English language, if I wanted to look up the word, the definition for the English word loved, L-O-V-E-D, I wouldn't look up L-O-V-E-D. I would look up the dictionary form. I would look up the lima form, which is love, L-O-V-E. And it, it, it separates out the suffixes, the prefixes, the tenses, and all, that other, all those other things. And the Greek lexicon or the Greek dictionary does the same thing. So if I take the lima form of the word ekklesia and I search and I want to know how many times that word appears in the New Testament, it appears 108 times. And 107 of those times it is talking about the local church. It's talking about a body. It's talking about a group of people that love one another and are committed to one another. Matthew 16, 18, it says, And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock... I will build my ecclesia. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 18, all of a sudden, it starts talking about this issue of church discipline, that someone was in the body and doing something that was harming other members or harming uh, uh, other, other people. And they were talking about having to ask that person to leave. And so if there's not membership, then, then they wouldn't have asked this person to leave. And so uh, Matthew 18, 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So the, the church is, is part of God's plan for you. So how, do, how does a person know? How does a person know if he or she belongs to the church? For instance, I, by birth, I, I, I was born into the, the Jones family. But at, but at a certain period, I, I got to make a choice. I got to make a choice of, of commitment because there's rights and responsibilities that come with belonging to the family. I mean, right now it's it's my it's my responsibility to care for my mom, and it's, and and a thousand miles away, and I, I make sure her house is taken care of. I make sure my brothers and sisters do some things to help. Uh, I I pay her bills. I, I I worry about her finances, and and so there's rights and privileges and responsibilities that come with a family. Ephesians 5.29 helps us to understand this. It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church, just as Christ does the ecclesia. Because we are members 
We are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In other words, this, we're a part of Christ. And somehow we don't see the, being a part of his body as being part of him. Ephesians 5 is talking about marriage, but it also helps us understand the church. Verse 28, it says, just as Christ does the church. You know what this tells me about, about the church? You know what this tells me about Christ? That he's going to nourish me, and he's going to take care of me like his own body as I'm a part of the body of Christ. Ephesians 1.22 says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So what is the fullness, fullness of him? It's the ecclesia. It's the church. I mean, he, he is the head of the body. Can you, can you separate the head from the body and still be alive? No. So we're, we're connected to Jesus, and, and we're the body, and he is the head, and I'm a part of the body of Christ, and I'm literally connected to Jesus. And, and the rights that we have as being members of his body is that he's going to nourish us, he's going to care for us as a man does his own body. But it's our responsibility to treat others the same way that he treats us. He loves us, and he cares for us. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, and... I'm not going to read that scripture. It's in, it's in you version for you. And, and your life group leaders are going to uh, help you unpack that uh, this next week. But Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, uh, Paul is persecuting the church. And he's destroying the church, his body. And Jesus Christ confronts him on the Damascus Road and says, Paul, why are, you, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Paul was persecuting the church. Jesus Christ died for the church. He gave his life up for the church. I'm telling you, part, part of God's plan for you, his master plan, is that you would see the church not as an organization, but you would see the church as a home. You would see the church as, as, as people. That you would see a church to where we're, we're connected and we pray for one another, we encourage one another, we support one another. The third and the last thing of God's master plan for you is this, is building his kingdom. It's building, it's building his kingdom. Colossians 1.13 says this, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, what, what, what Paul is saying in Colossians is this, is that when we, when we accepted Christ, the moment that we accepted Christ, prior to accepting Christ, we were in the kingdom of darkness. And once we accepted Christ, immediately, not anymore, we're no longer in the kingdom of darkness, but we're in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when you just look at this in the Greek, it, it's something that happens immediate. It's not something that you had to earn. It's not something that you had to develop. It's not something that you had to do more good things and bad things. It was, it was something that happened immediately. And all the rights and privileges I now have because I'm no longer in the kingdom of darkness, but I'm in the, the kingdom of light. I'm in the kingdom of heaven. And, I, and so as a result of that, being in Christ, I have, I have the, the right of forgiveness and unconditional love and joy and peace. I mean, Romans 4, 17, 14, 17 gives us the rights. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness is just simply right standing with God. And because I am now a citizen of heaven, I know Christ. I have been made right with God. And because of that, I can have peace and joy. Listen, you cannot have peace and joy without righteousness. 
And since I've been made right with God, since you have been made right with God, we can have peace and joy. Do you know it's okay as Christians that we can have joy? Do you know some churches don't know this? Have you ever been to those churches? Where like there's no laughter? There, I mean, nobody's happy? They may be Christians and they may have the love of God, but, but it looks like they are not happy about it. We've had people here that, that visited Fellowship the Rockies, and, and here a while back we, we had a family that visited and said, hey, we just want to let you know uh, we visited. We think it's a great church, but we're, we're not staying. We're going to go look for another church. And, and I'm always curious to, as to that, and I says, well, could I ask you why? And they said, sure. You guys laugh way too much. Some of the jokes you tell and some of the things, you know, and you guys are like, we need, we need, a, we need, a, we need a quiet church. We need a church that's really not any joy. Do you realize it is okay for Christians to have joy? Righteousness is a gift. But it's, it's my responsibility to live righteously. I can never live righteous enough to earn my way to heaven because he has granted me the righteousness of God, the grace of God, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that I don't have to stay in bondage to sin. And I can have joy and I can have peace, but my res responsibility is to live righteously so that I, I serve the one who died for me. And if you're a believer and you're not living righteously, you're not going to have joy and you're not going to have peace. See, there's a problem with Nehemiah. There's a problem with Nehemiah with the Jews in, in Jerusalem. They were God followers, but they weren't living righteously. They weren't following him. And as a result of that, they no longer had any joy, and they no longer had any peace, and their, their church and their community was destroyed. Are we going to be a church like a home where we really, we really connect with each other? We really know each other. It's not about the once-a-week family reunion. This is just like the start. We build relationships with one another. There's a connectedness. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. See, Nehemiah. Nehemiah went to illogical lengths to love a people group that, that he had never met. And he, Nehemiah could have retired and stayed safe in the position in which he was. But that didn't make sense to him because he understood God's master plan. Churches like a home where those in it feel, feel found, feel like they, they belong, where they're a family. Have we forgotten what it means to feel found? The joy of our salvation? Can we understand what it means to belong, to be connected to the family of God? Do, do you remember what God has done for you in your life? Do you remember what happened to you when Jesus changed your life? Do you remember when you first walked into a church and something inside of you said, I'm, I'm home? Could it be that our political system is unraveling before our eyes so that the church would be awakened and live loud outside of these walls in a community that is so judgmental, that is so offensive, could see a group of believers that live in community with one another, that worship together, pray together, serve together, and even disagree together. That's the church. 
One of the most convicting passages that Jesus said is Matthew 9.13. He said, go learn what this means. That was not only for them, that's for us. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. The danger of the Christian life is that if we come to the place where we replace compassion with weekend services. In other words, we think it's all about the weekend service and we no longer have compassion for one another. We no longer serve one another. We no longer are committed to one another. We no longer pray for one another. We no longer encourage one another. That's why Jesus says, you go and find what this means. Compassion is not just facilitated at a weekend service, but it's facilitated throughout the week through relationships and through connectedness. And sometimes it's easier for someone to sacrifice instead of compassion. To feeling what other people are feeling. To see someone else's pain. To see someone else's hurt. To see someone else's differences. And say, I'm going to show them the love of Christ and I'm going to connect with them because I want them to know that they belong. And with the same love that I have received from God, I'm going to pass on to them. See, this is why Nehemiah was so sad. Because the children of Israel had not lived righteously. And uh, even though they were full of God, they had not lived righteously. They had suffered the consequences. The, the church was destroyed. The city was destroyed. Their relationships around them were destroyed. And Nehemiah felt the compassion for them and went and rebuilt a church. What is the church to you? Every one of us has to ask, answer that question.